Well, good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to Christians in the Workplace Sunday School. Today's session, today's class is called A New Goal. Success is faithfulness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your new mercies given to us through Christ this morning. Be merciful to us, O Lord, that we would grow to know more of you and to have our hearts captivated by pleasing you above all else, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start out this morning telling you about four Christians. Four Christians. Sam is stressed at work. He's in charge of putting together the bid to renew his company's contract, and things are not going well. 30 jobs are on the line, if he doesn't get this right. And beyond temporal things, he's stressed out about spiritual things. Is he spending so much time on this contract that he's missing out on evangelistic opportunities with his coworkers, missing out on doing spiritual good to people? Uh, what profits a man to win a government contract yet lose his soul? That's stressed out Sam. Maybe there's a few stressed out Sams here today. Willa, wondering Willa, is wondering if she's wasting her life. She and her husband decided five years ago that she'd quit her job to become a full-time homemaker, stay at home with the kids. Her stay-at-home mom friends keep assuring her that what she's doing is quite valuable, and yet her former co-workers wonder what she's doing. The world disagrees. Is wiping noses really more valuable than negotiating peace in conflict zones? That's wondering Willa. Felicia is in deep woes of failure. She's just spent the first 30 years of her career building a company, building, building, investing, pouring her life into it, and that company has just gone belly up, totally ruined. Her employees, her savings, her enthusiasm, her optimism are all gone. What was it all for? And Sean Successful Sean is glorying in success. Unlike Felicia's company, his company is going gangbusters. It is just off the hook. After years of hard work, he barely has to lift a finger. Four-hour work week? More like 40-minute work week, and the machine just keeps on churning. He doesn't need to lift a finger, and the cash just keeps on pumping. That's what life's all about, right? That's success. Sean has arrived. Has he? So what does the Bible have to say to stressed out Sam, wondering Willa, failed Felicia, and successful Sean? Well, as you can guess from the title of this class, a new goal, success is faithfulness. All of these Christians need a more biblical goal for their work instead of measuring success based on worldly productivity or value or results, they should work with the goal of being counted as faithful. And I know something about you. I know something about you that 
This week, likely, you've struggled to find the right value on your work, either esteeming it higher than you ought to have or lower than you ought to have. I think I know that about you because I know that about me. Faithfulness is our topic today. So we'll start by talking about what faithfulness is, how working for faithfulness looks different than most of us generally operate, and finally we'll return to give some advice to our four friends who just need a bit of encouragement and guidance. So faithfulness, let's, uh, let's start back uh, by linking back to last week's class when Pastor Rob was talking about when we became Christians, we got a new boss. Did you know that? A new boss. Jesus is your boss. You answer to him, ultimately. And not only do we have a new boss, but he's given us a new assignment to show off his glory in our work. In other words, work has again become worship like it was in Eden. So the big implication here, whatever you do for work, maybe you're unemployed, maybe you are employed, and trying to find that, that, that line to walk of how you value and see your work, the implication is that who you work for is more important than what you do. Who you work for is more important than what you do. The world will tell you otherwise. <coughs> it will tell you that life finds its meaning in success at work or that work is just a necessary end to leisure. So thank God it's Friday. That's what we'll hear. Uh, almost there, almost at the weekend, as if Monday through Friday is just a means to an end of weekend leisure. Unless you work on the weekend, then, well. But you work for Jesus. And that's more important than anything about the job itself. So whether you're blue-collar, white-collar, whether you're a homemaker, you're a, an accountant, a banker, a nurse, you, uh, you're in management, you're in retail, you're in business analytics, you're in whatever may be engineering, no matter what you're doing, you do it to glorify Jesus. And if you keep this idea in mind, it will change the way you think about your work and how you engage in your work. And why is that? Well, it's because when, when glorifying Jesus is our primary goal, well, then suddenly our job becomes an act of worship. When you, when you show up to work or you, you switch on the computer and you start typing your emails, you're now worshiping when it's, when it's meant to glorify Jesus ultimately. So that means that we're freed from thinking that work has no purpose. And we're equally freed from thinking work has ultimate purpose. Our job actually becomes a, a very significant way that we worship and serve our Lord. So again, just to stress, who you work for is more important than what you do. So that's what brings us to this idea of faithfulness. If your work is worship, how will your real boss, Jesus, evaluate your performance? Uh, we've got performance reviews coming up month of February. Uh, it's the review of your performance the year past. Now all the, all the managers have met together and uh, the reviews are coming out. So how did we do? Maybe some of you have had or will be having performance reviews. Based on what your life in the workplace says, what is the performance review that Christ will give for you this past year? 
the Bible speaks of faithfulness being like this. If, if we had to sort of define it, and I know definitions aren't always perfect, but um, consider this definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is acting in obedience to show off God's goodness. Faithfulness is acting in obedience to show off God's goodness. Now, I don't know how often you use the word faithful. Like we'll, we'll use it in speaking of the things of the Lord, in, in, in our Christianese, sometimes we might call it. Uh, people might say that, oh, I've, that truck, that's a faithful truck. Or old faithful in Yellowstone. Or, uh, oh, come all ye faithful to speak of Christians, to speak of saints. But the Bible's take on faithfulness is far more profound and exciting than this. So to see this, it's, I believe it's in your handout, but you could also turn to Matthew 25 in your Bibles. Matthew 25, we're going to learn from Jesus' parable of the talents. So let me sum up the parable. Very interesting, this parable. A lot to chew on. Of course, Jesus was the master communicator, wasn't he? He could just, uh, this, the substance of what he's teaching found in such a simple story. But in short, it's about the second coming. It's about the second coming of Christ and how people will prepare or not prepare, how they will act or not act in response and in the waiting. To, so to sum it up, uh, Matthew 25, an extremely wealthy master is going away on a long journey, and so he, he has this great wealth, and then so he, he puts it in charge of these servants to then handle. So he gives, um, he entrusts five talents to one, two to another, and one to a third, and then he goes away. He goes away. And then when he returns, he finds that the first two have put the talents to work, and much more. They've been busy. And yet the, the, the third servant hasn't been so productive, and we'll, we'll see why in a minute. But when the master calls the first two to account, <coughs> what he says to them is, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same for the second. But then, and here we have in our handout, verse 24, so chapter 25, verse 24 and following, we have the response to the third servant. It says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Hmm. Very different. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given. More will be given. And he who has an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the third servant goes to hell. Does that seem a bit harsh? He still... He still has it. He still has the money. So a talent is um, 20 years' 
uh, worth of wages for a laborer. So it's a lot of money. Uh, one talent is a lot of money. Five talents is a lot of money. Ten talents is a huge amount of money. So he hasn't lost any money from his master. It's all still there. Here it is. What you gave me, I'm giving back to you. And yet, he's being sent to hell. Is that harsh? What's happening? Well, believe it or not, what's going on in this parable is the gospel. We need to remember that. If you take out that pin of the gospel, that we are freed not by our own works, we are freed from sin because of God's lavish grace upon us. He is a forgiving God who gives generously to us and forgives all iniquities, all wrongs. Through the cross, it's done. And yet, how we then participate and then act out that faith that he's given us um, will indicate if we are truly cherishing and treasuring Christ or if we aren't. So remember that pin of the gospel. Otherwise, the whole parable turns to moralism. But um, without this detail, uh, it's about doing your best, trying your hardest to please God. And what we can do now is just think about why this third servant did what he did and why deserved hell. And if we can think about that, well, this parable actually, we can read it with fresh eyes. So the, the key here to this third servant's actions is what he said about his master. It, it revealed how he viewed his master and the call uh, that, he ca- that he left upon him to do this work. So he tried to have things both ways. He'd be okay if the master returned, and he'd be okay if he didn't return. Do you see that? The money that he's entrusted to him is safe. If he comes back, here you go, you can have it. If he doesn't come back, well, I didn't put too much effort in. I just kept on living my life. He was hedging his bets. He was practicing a risk mitigation strategy And what that means is he didn't trust his master to live up to his word. He didn't trust his master to live up to his promise that he would come back. Already you can see how this is tying into the second coming and how people live in light or not of that. The master was incredibly generous. Can you imagine? I don't know. Someone do the math. Someone do the math. What, what a <coughs> minimum wage laborer would make in a day, and then in a year, and then times 20, times 50, times 100. It's an extremely high amount of money. He's very generous to then just entrust that to someone else, to give that kind of resource. And yet, he, uh, he didn't trust him. He didn't trust him that he would make good on his word, and I think he was a bit bitter about the master. The third servant, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. You see the, how he felt about him. I knew you to be a hard man. Showed he didn't know his master at all. Could it be that he resented his master's wealth? He resented it and did not want the master to profit from his labors. Almost like when he says... Um, And he says in verse 24, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. It's almost like he's saying, 
You don't even deserve the money that you have. All that you have shouldn't be yours. Maybe he's saying it should be someone else's. Maybe it should be mine. I deserve that kind of wealth, not you. So there's this harsh view that he has of him. And one commentator even goes far enough to say that this third servant's explanation is just a cover-up. He's just, he's just making an excuse. He's, he's got to say something. He's busted. He's come back asking where his money is, and he's basically been lazy this whole time. Wicked, slothful servant. It's just a cover-up. He's got to say something, so he says it. Although, as we all know, our words reveal more than we sometimes think. So contrast that with the actions of the first two servants. They gambled everything for him. They laid it all on the line. They bet with their lives that he was good to his word, and risking everything on him would be the best thing they could do for themselves. And they were right. A huge return on their investment. And the twist at the end shows that this is a parable about faith. Faith in the master. Yes, I, I think there, there can be a lot of application that we can draw from this about how do we live our lives? How do we live our lives and how do we invest ourselves into kingdom work? Uh, I think that is a huge application for us. But as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, no one can serve two masters. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't live for yourself and live for God. It's going to be one or the other. You're all, either all in for Christ and his kingdom or you're not. You can't, there's no neutrality. Ultimately, you're one or the other. So the servant, his double-minded life, showed that he had no faith. James tells us that even the demons believe in God and shudder. So what's the difference between demonic faith, they know God, they know he exists, and saving faith? Saving faith doesn't simply believe facts about God. It believes that God is good. Saving faith treasures and delights in God. The demons shudder because they hate him. They know him, but they hate him. Saving faith treasures, savors Christ. Saving faith trusts that his rewards are worth having. Saving faith believes in the goodness of his plan, and so it steps eagerly into God's care, leaving everything behind. Leaving all those fishing nets behind. Come, follow me. And they just go, the disciples. So what we really believe, when we really believe that God's rewards are worth the cost here on earth, our lives become living advertisements of how good and desirable he is. But when we say, I don't want to get into, I want to get into heaven, but I also want to hedge my bets because I don't really trust God's plans for me. Then our lives become a living advertisement that God is not good and that he is not trustworthy, just like this faithless servant. So the first two servants were considered faithful because they acted in good faith. They were obedient, but obedience isn't an end in itself. Obedience showed off the goodness and trustworthiness of their master, and that's key. So faithfulness is important because it shows the world what God is like. Shows off who he is. And so that explains Jesus' words to the faithful servants. 
His reward is for them to enter into the joy of their master. Enter into his joy. The joy of who he is. God delights in his goodness. And when we are faithful, we delight in his goodness as well. Questions. Parable of the talents. Faithful servant, unfaithful servant. Faithfulness in general. Any questions? Analogous? Like uh, contemporary analogous? Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. Anyone have an answer? Uh, the, 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 the question is, um, when, when the master in this, in this parable says to the third servant, well, you, at least you could have given the money to the bankers, and then at least there would have been a little bit of interest. You could have at least done that. Yeah, you, you could have done something. Instead of burying it, yeah. The e- like, if you want to have an easier route, you could have at least done that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think ultimately, well, that's one thing with parables is don't, don't focus too much on some of the finer details and finer points because ultimately, what's the parables have one point ultimately, and some of the details, you know, just don't get too lost in them. Um, but I think what's been said has been very helpful that um, even the bare minimum that he could have done, he didn't do because he didn't want to, and that's the point. Yeah. And yet, even that wouldn't have been worth his time. Maybe because of his hard view of his master, he's not even going to want any uh, profit for him. Mm-hmm. And even just as you're saying that, uh, Henry, it, it, it even just makes me think of the, like when you talk about um, the, the privilege it is to receive that money and entrusted it to him. If he actually was, and he was a servant of this uh, very wealthy guy, imagine the, the privilege it would have been to go to the bank and say, I have so-and-so's money to invest. This is his money. Uh, let's, let's make a good investment because I work for him. Well, maybe he didn't want to be known as his servant. And all sorts of other interesting things that you can talk about over lunch. Why did he do that? Any other questions? Comments? 
I sometimes have to, uh, I have to tweet. I don't know if how many of you are on Twitter, but when I'm thinking about something, I'm reading something, studying, I, have to, I, I need to get it into a tweet bite size to, to know that I actually understand it. And so, um, so I tweeted this last night and trying to just bring Matthew 25, this parable, to a point. What is faithfulness? God has given you resources. God has given you opportunities. Your faithfulness is evaluated by two things. One, how you view God's generosity. And two, how you exercise your abilities within the scope of God's appointed season for you. Twitter used to, you could only rate that much, but now you can rate that much, and so I can get that much more, which is great. Um, how you view God's generosity and how you exercise your abilities within the scope of God's appointed season for you. In other words, to what extent has our obedience shown him to be good and trustworthy? That goes for our jobs, our families, our money, our churches, our abilities, our stewardship of everything he's given us. That's okay. That may seem straightforward, but it's actually quite contrary to how most of us live. So what I want to do now is to contrast working for faithfulness on the one hand and working for results on the other, which I think is what most of us do. So let's think of another example. Let's think of a fellow named Bill. Bill. Bill lives in Washington, D.C., and works for a company that relies heavily on the import-export bank that's funded by Congress. Congress didn't refund the bank this year, and Bill's company told him it was his job to build a coalition of companies and lawmakers to get the bank refunded. It's a very high-profile situation. Even the CEO is breathing down Bill's neck to get the thing done, and that's his job. So, what's going to motivate Bill? Well, reputation. Bill is a go-getter. He's a guy who gets things done, and he's not going to fail now. His boss. Well, he wants to please his boss. He wants to make him happy and serve him well, especially when the CEO of one of America's largest companies is looking on. Money. Presumably, if he does well on this high-profile responsibility, this task, there's a bonus in it for him. And he has all sorts of ideas of how to use that money for the good of others. His family, his church. Lots of people could use that. Public good. Bill believes that this is good for America, that his work will save jobs. And career. Wins like this are what will make Bill's career move forward, which is what will allow him to continue to raise his family in a very expensive neighborhood in Washington, D.C., where he lives. And so he can be part of his church and continue to serve as an elder there. So while all of these things can be idolized and misused, they are all in themselves good motives. I think they're fine, don't you? Those are good motives. Nothing wrong with those. And let's assume, he's not here to speak for himself, uh, but let's just assume that in Bill's heart, they are good motives. Obviously, they can be idolized, but for him, generally good motives. But what we see is that these are all uh, results-orientated. They are all about working hard to achieve something in this life. In this life. So there's two problems with working for results. Problem number one, 
we don't know what's truly valuable. Someone once said, um, it's like in this life, God has walked into the store and he switched all the price tags on everything. So we, we don't know what value everything should have. We just don't know what it, what's worth what. We can't rely on our eyes to tell us how valuable something is to God. So which life will seem more valuable from the perspective of heaven? Think about, think about this. There's a, consider a man who is struggling with mental health and he can't seem to hold down a job. He's easily depressed and often prone to um, anxious outbursts. And yet, he is a Christian and he's fighting. He's fighting for joy in Christ. He's fighting for faith, fighting, and he's basically going to just survive till the very end of his life. Fighting successfully, I might add. Or you think of the other man who heads up a large philanthropic enterprise and fights for faith also successfully to give glory to God as his organization prospers. Which one was more faithful? Which one seems more valuable from the perspective of heaven? Uh, Well, we don't know. We just don't know. We don't know uh, how to equate those things. We don't have God's perspective but we don't need that. All we need to do is to obey in whatever situation he puts us in. That's what we are to do. In other words, to be faithful. I was just reading in the end of John. Do you ever read that when uh, classic Peter? Peter, Peter, Peter. I'm like Peter, so. Peter looks at John and says, oh, what about this guy? What's going to happen with him? And Jesus says, Basically, mind your own business. (laughs) You follow me. Isaiah 40, verse 6, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Have you ever thought about how doctors aren't in the business of saving lives? They they merely prolong them because you're all going to die. You can look to your neighbor. You're going to die. Eventually, everyone dies. And yet, prolonging life is not unimportant. It's hugely important. It's common grace from God that we would have a medical system. We'd have doctors. We'd have, we could call an ambulance right now and have life-saving um, professionals help us. It's important, but it's not ultimate. If you're a teacher, you're going to teach kids who are going to forget what you taught them. And if you are, uh, if, if you clean a window, it's going to get dirty again. If you put out a fire, more fires are going to come out or come up. For me, uh, with our gas turbine engines, they'll come in after 20,000 hours. Or if, if snow, too, if you shovel snow, it's, it's going to snow again. Um, uh, after 20,000 hours, uh, after the engine's been run, it has to come in for a midlife repair. And then it runs another 20,000 hours and needs to come in for repair. Needs to come in for repair. Needs to come in for repair. It's, it's never ultimate. It's never complete. It's always futile. So if you, uh, if you put your cynical, pessimistic hat on, you can get pretty down on basically anything you do. You know, even if you were uh, to build a building, well, that's going to get knocked down one day. If you write a book, maybe a bunch of people are going to read it. 
and then one day no one's gonna ever know what they're not gonna know about you and they're not gonna read your book anymore so working for results you can see just doesn't make sense so instead work with your final performance evaluation in mind in Matthew 25 it's speaking of the second coming so this accounting is judgment day and that's coming it's coming for all of us we will have a final accounting coming Hebrews 4:13 and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account on that day the real value of what we've done will be laid bare before him so how do we work tomorrow the rest of the week in light of that coming day we work to be faithful whether whether God has you right now in the position of CEO or janitor faithful faithfulness is what we're striving for we work as unto the Lord so that one day you can tell him that you made the most of the opportunities he gave you based on his generosity to you and the resources he's provided to you and even the moment in time and in his providence the um, the job that you have or the role that you have you did your best for him the amazing news is that how you did your job and why you did your job the way you did has incredible potential to bring glory to God forever and ever and ever well done good and faithful servant isn't that what you want to hear on that day well done and maybe maybe the world maybe you're not going to be on you know Forbes list maybe you're not going to be on any magazine there's not going to be any articles written about you there's not going to be any awards in your name no one's even going to remember you <laughs> that's fine because God will God does and if you say I did as much as I could for you well done enter into my joy so some practical examples to finish off remember we have these four friends of ours who are in need of encouragement as we all are let's start with stressed out Sam if he's pursuing results like the rest of the world he's going to end up disobeying Jesus command not to worry because getting that contract is really important and really outside of his control he can't guarantee it that's true in the temporal realm with the contract and it's also true in the spiritual realm is in his evangelism so if he's stressed out because he's sharing the gospel and not getting any fruit back from that how come I'm not seeing the results I want because I'm sharing the gospel and nothing's happening leave it to God but when he reconsiders his role through the lens of faithfulness things look quite different for one he real he realizes that as he's pursuing the contract how he pursues the contract is more important than what he's able to actually accomplish whether or not he actually wins the contract how he conducts himself can say volumes about the trustworthiness of his God whether he gives in to worry or perhaps crosses ethical lines tempted to bribery tempted to maybe blur the lines a little bit just so that he can get it when he thinks about how he conducts himself he can actually glorify God in doing things for him and doing them doing things uh, for his glory 
it's actually less significant from a, a, a spiritual, whether, he, whether or not he wins the contract uh, is actually less significant from a spiritual perspective. That, and that's an interesting thing, isn't it? That we can fail miserably in our work. And yet, as we fail in those things, as we look to God and ask him for his help and grace and find that our identity is rooted in him, well, that's a big win. That is a big win. Just an interesting note. There can be some correlation, too. And this, uh, this isn't a prosperity gospel thing, but just to say, when you when you change the tune to living for God's faithfulness and enjoying his unmerited favor and then now living for him, that actually sort of calms you down a little bit. Have you, have you found that? Calms you down, you're a little less stressed, and now suddenly the work that you're doing, you're doing with a little bit more of a, a metered touch. You're more objective. You have a l- your critical thinking skills are a bit sharper because you're not so stressed out. So there can be a correlation to trusting God, living for him, loving him, wanting to please him. And now suddenly, hey, the the work you're doing is actually pretty good and you're seeing some results. Maybe you might win the contract because you're actually just laser focused. It's not a prosperity gospel thing. It's just a human flourishing thing, I think. Next, let's look at Willa's life, the mom who's wondering if staying at home with her kids is really more valuable than what she used to do as a peace negotiator. So some of her friends are cheering her on, saying, you go, girl. I don't know if they'd say that. But they're cheering her on and saying, it's great to be a full-time mom. What a blessing for your kids. What a blessing for your home. Oh, praise God for being a homemaker. Others are telling her to quit wasting the gifts God's given her. Well, what does faithfulness say to her? It says she's asking the wrong question. Willa's in no position to determine which is more valuable. She's merely in a position to be faithful with the situation God's put her in. Being a peace negotiator, sure, that's great. A great role to be in. It's great. But it's also optional because she either has a job or she doesn't have the job. But she will always have kids. Always have kids. She is a mom, and those kids aren't going anywhere. It's not optional at all. So if she and her husband decide that as far as this season right now, with the kids at home, her being faithful as a mom means staying at home. That's faithfulness. Well, then, great. That's what, she's, that's what she should do. They should make that move, make that decision without regret. Jesus is in no way dependent on Willa to achieve peace. So a bit of a, a Messiah complex that we can sometimes have. Well, if I don't do it, well, then the world's going to crumble. It'll be okay. After all, Christ is the Prince of Peace. And maybe sometime in the future when the kids are growing up a little bit older, maybe the seasons change and maybe she can resume that role and be faithful in that as well. Maybe. So then there's failed Felicia. What does the goal of faithfulness say to her? Remember, 30 years of her business being built, and now it's just crumbled. Employees, unemployed, everything that she's worked for is just in the dust. How debilitating, how, how, how depressing. 
It's a reminder that as a Christian, her ultimate goal was never the success of that business, which wasn't going to last forever anyways, right? No, her ultimate goal was to obey Christ in the opportunities he gave her to be ambitious for his glory. And her hope is that the spiritual fruit of that faithfulness will be with her in heaven because, because God will be with her in heaven forever. So to think about 30 years of her, let's assume, doing unto others as she would have them do unto her. The way that she would speak to her employees, the way that she would honor them and motivate them and equip them, empower them, treat them fairly, give them fair wages. The way that she's done that for 30 years God would be pleased with her faithfulness. Even if it crashes and the company goes belly up, God is pleased in the way that she's handled it. Now, maybe the company has gone belly up because she wasn't very faithful. She wasn't a good employer. Maybe she uh, didn't handle her affairs very ethically. Maybe there were issues. And uh, maybe, maybe some mistakes were made. And yet she, even she, can look to the cross and recognize, ah, well, I can be forgiven of all of those things too. And I learned a lot from that. And I wonder how the Lord will then use that learning, that those mistakes being redeemed now for the next season and how I can be faithful now. There's always a brand new day for us that God's mercies are new to you every day. Whatever mistakes you've made even this past week in the workplace or even currently in your heart, things are just not quite where they should be. Well, you're forgiven all of your sins are forgiven on the cross. And now, step into that new life. Step into that, that reframed mentality for this new week, this, this next week coming up. How we can be faithful and proclaim the glory of our God. Now finally, we mentioned uh, successful Sean, and we, we sort of think, well, well, he's arrived. He is the epitome of worldly success. But is sitting on your duff really faithful to your real boss? Uh, if you've read your Bible, typically when you uh, <clears throat> are sitting on your couch, usually bad things start to happen. You remember David. Laziness is never extolled in Scripture. The easy life of leisure and relaxation, you don't really see that as esteemed as virtuous in the Bible. Now, perhaps worldly success means that he can shift his time elsewhere. Maybe. But Christ's demand for faithfulness is, being, uh, is just the same now as it, when it was when Sean was hungrily building his business back in the early days. Consider Paul's words to him in Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so there's no simple answer. It's more you need to actually talk to these people uh, life on life, flesh on flesh. But could it be that if he's arrived at this level and he's getting X income from working 40, 40 minutes a week, well, if he is a Christian and we believe that he is, well, hey, maybe he could then be more involved in lay ministry in the church. Um, maybe he could actually start to fund a, a startup company. Maybe he could be involved in mentoring Christian leaders in the workplace. He's got a lot of opportunity. He doesn't need to just be um, taking it easy. So, in a world that's obsessed by results, it's really hard to keep our eyes on faithfulness. So how do we do that? Here's three thoughts. 
Daily Faithfulness Review. Now, maybe many of you read your Bible and have uh, a bit of time of prayer in the morning. Maybe some of you read your Bible at night. Maybe you read it in the afternoon with your afternoon coffee. Doesn't matter. When you meet with the Lord in prayer and read your Bible, pray either what you anticipate coming later into that day or pray in reflection upon what has happened that day. I mean, in this sense, it is, there is some advantage to maybe doing this on the earlier side of the day to ask God to help you to be faithful to him in whatever comes up. Think about what faithfulness will look like in each activity. So if you know that you're going to be having a meeting with Sue or this panel that you're going to have to speak in front of or this difficult job or this just difficult job site or this really exciting venture, God, help me to live for you. Thank you for the identity that I have in Christ. I wish to honor him and please him and I want to get busy and, uh, and be productive today. Help me to be faithful to you where you are at risk of failing Jesus in your day, pray that he would help you. Another one, number two, is talk about faithfulness. So maybe when you're having a passing by conversation with someone, even at church, they say, oh, how was your week? How's work? To which we always say, fine. (laughs) And oftentimes when you are just passing by, that's all that you really have time for. Fine, thanks. Yeah, how are you? Good, good. But what if you were to ask someone, um, hey, how are you? at work, and um, what's it like for you to be faithful to Jesus in your work? What does that look like? And then let them talk. Sometimes it can seem unspiritual when we talk about work, as if we should be talking more about theology, but if we truly believe that work is a very significant place in which we do serve the Lord, well, work should come up in our conversations more often. Think about it, 30, 40, 50 hours, whatever it is, a week. That's a lot of time that you're spending. It's worth talking about. And thirdly, annual faithfulness review. It's important, it's important to see how each arena of your life has a different assignment from Jesus. So to think, whatever your profession is, okay, so that's one box, and then maybe you're a father or a mother or a student or a, a son or a daughter, whatever you may be, sort of even just on a piece of paper, just write them out. Write out a little job description and write out how you're doing. How you're doing. Evaluate how you're doing your job against the job description that you've just listed out. And then that's an opportunity to repent for sin and praising God for helping you to be faithful. And even if you were to do that each year, imagine if you had one for 2022, 2023, 2024, and then over time, if you were to look back over 10 years to see how the Lord has grown you and matured you in your work and in your home and in all these various spheres of influence, well, hey, that'd be a cause for evidence of grace and cause for worship to our God. Conclusion, we need to remember that we're in service to the King and he has infinite wisdom in how he deploys us to decide which of our talents and abilities he decides to use and how. We all want to be generals and commanders in his army, and sometimes when he says, and you're going to go dig that trench, you think, oh. We can be like that third servant, thinking that God is harsh and not generous. But isn't that his right? 
Isn't that God's right to determine where you are and what you do? What resources have been given to you? What opportunities are presented to you? That's his right. If our hearts are full of faith and love towards our king, well, then we won't reject his assignments. By faith, we will trust him, serving with joy because we serve the king of kings. And again, if there's if there's one thing that you can take from this session, it's who you serve. It's who you work for, not what you do for work. Uh, any questions or comments? Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, it, when, when the master gives talents, he, he gives his resources according to their ability. So he, he already had a view of, of each person and what they could handle. And, um, and when the Lord gives us uh, our lot in life and we, and, and we think we should have had more, well, actually, the, the Lord probably knows you better than you know yourself, that you might not be able to have handled more. But be faithful where you're at. Any other comments or questions? Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Well, yes, yes. So then what you're saying even ties into uh, a question that I'll ask and hopefully answer too is, uh, and maybe a question that would resonate with some is, well, okay, what if God gives you a job that you hate and you're in a career right now that you're just miserable in? It's not going well. You hate your job. People you work with are difficult. How do you be faithful when it seems like God has dealt you a bad hand? And then that enters into that first part of recognizing God's generosity to us. Sometimes we're so slanted to think, perhaps in comparison to the rest of the world and what, what all my other friends have, maybe, or other people in the world, I have this opportunity, or I have, I have this career, or this profession, or this, this lot in life. And so you can become the, the third servant by just forsaking it and actually not recognizing God's goodness to you in it, in having a job to begin with, maybe. But we actually start to resent it. And then instead of giving our all to it, we forsake it, which means that when you're at work, you're on your phone, or instead of working, you're gossiping, you're just, you're wasting time, 
And could it be even practically that part of the reason why you don't like your work is because you're not actually trying very hard. If you were to try hard and to work with all of your might, you actually might find that you like your work a lot better. But then the question then shifts that, well, okay, well, what if I am trying hard, but it's still a miserable job and I hate it? How do I be faithful? Well, maybe, or not even that, but I think I could do more with my life. I'm, I'm currently in this career, this, this path, or whatever, but I feel like I have the ability, even that goes to the, the other servants, I have ability to do more. How do I be faithful if I'm here, but I think I could do more? Well, take a risk. Maybe faithfulness to God means that you're not going to go bury it in the sand, but you're actually going, going to try to expand God's kingdom by taking a risk and maybe leaving one job for another. Keeping in mind that maybe leaving one job for another is just your way of not wanting to deal and not wanting to be faithful. So it gets all sorts of interesting as we think about our human factors. Um, it's good to be talking with other believers in the church and say, hey, this is where I'm at in my job and this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And especially if a person knows you pretty well, they'll say, well, and then they'll give you some color. Last, any other questions? Amen. That's it. That's it. Easier said than done sometimes, but that's what we're, um, by God's grace, seeking to do. Uh, we've run out of time, but not for Akeen. Akeen, anything for you. Thanks for sharing that. It's the, um, and even just the, the big picture from this parable that it's about Christ's second coming. So he hasn't come back yet. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We want him to come, but he hasn't come back today, which means that today is another day full of opportunity for you to use the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. Not the person next to you, but you. Use them. Use them and glorify God. And then he's going to come back one day and then he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we are mindful of uh, how soon and how quick it will be before Christ comes. He's coming very soon. And yet as we wait, we have these various um, opportunities that you've given us. We have these various gifts and abilities we pray that you would help us to steward them. Help us to serve our boss, our new boss, Jesus, with faithfulness. We ask, God, that you would give us, by your Holy Spirit, greater realization of the potential in our current workplace, in our current profession, whatever we do, the potential there is to serve you. And we pray that you would give us greater motivation to be faithful in it. Help us to look carefully how we walk, that we would not be unwise, but that we would be wise. For these days certainly are evil. But, but we look to the second coming of Christ. We know that we want to please him and help us to take risks, even to put 
everything on the line because we trust him. We trust you that you are faithful to your word and we are all in. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.